In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Glad to see all of you. Thank you all online for worshiping with us. So nice to have all of you with us today. In the Gospel reading that, that Father Trent just read, it says that Jesus took his disciples to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi. Our pilgrimage group that went to Israel in early March, just, I mean, like hours before the p- pandemic, uh, we got back. We had a, when we were there, we had a chance to visit this ancient city. And let me tell you, it is a very beautiful but very strange place. It's well to the north of the Sea of Galilee, and it's in the kind of the foothills, very hilly area, and uh, the site where the tourists go is um, right at the base of this sheer red rock cliff. It's, I'd say it's about 60 feet high, and uh, over to the left of the cave is this, uh, uh, over to the left of the cliff is this little cave, and in the cave is a pool of water that's fed by a spring. And that spring kind of um, trickles down and becomes a creek that feeds into some other creeks, and that becomes uh, the Jordan River. So it's really the headwaters of, of the Jordan. And uh, when, we, when you go there, it's not called Caesarea Philippi now. It's called Banias, and they call it that because that was the name before the Romans got a hold of it. It was called Banias because that's where the pagan hordes would gather to worship the goat-footed Greek god Pan, you know the um, the one with the flute, little little goaty uh, god. And uh, what they would do is they would uh, worshippers would take goats and throw them into the pool of water in order to wake Pan up and please him, so that uh, he would give them what they wanted. Well, uh, the Romans took it over just a few decades before Jesus got there, and they renamed it. And as the name suggests, Caesarea, uh, it became a place to worship. Caesar, as well as a host of other Roman gods. And you can still see these niches that are carved in the side of the cliff. The statues are gone where they put the idols, uh, but multiple niches in the face of the cliff where uh, they would come and worship. In other words, Benias, or Caesarea Philippi, uh, has always been a place that offered a smorgasbord of spiritual options whether it was through animal sacrifice or sexual activity or even just by simply bowing and praying and offering allegiance, Caesarea Philippi was a place to worship false gods. Now, of course, the worshipers wouldn't have called them false. They were very earnest in their sacrifice and their devotions, but none of these idols had anything to do with the one true God, with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So isn't it interesting that it is to this place that Jesus brings his disciples against the backdrop of all these various spiritualities, against all the competing ideologies and the ways of living that the world has to offer. It's here that Jesus brings the disciples to ask the question, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Now, of course, he begins by asking the disciples who other people are saying that he is. And the disciples have a variety of answers. They say, well, Jesus, some are saying, I mean, they can see that you've got, that you work miracles. So some are saying that you're John the Baptist back from the dead after John was beheaded by Herod. Some are saying 
that you are the great prophet Elijah whose return was foretold. And some even are saying, Jesus, that God raised up Jeremiah or one of the old prophets. In other words, Jesus, what they're saying is that you're a man of God, but from a long time ago. And surely what you had to say then was important, but we're not really sure what that has to do with us now. Well, Jesus then puts it to him, doesn't he? Right in front of all these other spiritual options and with the uh, different opinions of who other people thought he was still hanging in the air, Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Well, I used to think that this was really just a question for skeptics or maybe new believers. People who didn't quite have the answer yet. I mean, there is a right answer. And Peter's the first one to get the answer. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus is overjoyed with that answer. But over the years, I have come to realize that no matter how long we have been walking with Jesus, whether we're a new believer or whether we've been walking with him for 60 years, this is always our question. Who do you say that I am? Now, I've told the story about where I learned that, particularly uh, in some context before. I don't remember if it was a sermon or or somewhere, but uh, if you've heard it before, indulge me. I'm going to tell it again. I was serving in Birmingham at the church there, and I led uh, backpacking trips for men. It was a retreat. They were wonderful. Uh, Four days, and and there was just, for this particular retreat, I did it a lot of times, but for this particular one, there was a lot going on in my life. I think we were buying a house, and we were stretched really, really thin. Uh, There was job stuff going on. There was family stuff going on. And I just had this knot of anxiety, this weight around me all the time. And I don't know if you had a time like this. I I can remember driving around town and having these big involuntary sighs. I'd be driving around. I was just... The weight of carrying the weight of the world around me. I could not, I couldn't show that on to, on the retreat, right? I had to project an image of strength. But on these trips, the uh, we would give out Bible verses, and uh, they were everybody got a different verse. They were random, and, and I would actually turn them upside down and hand them out, and and guys thought it was magic because I mean it, it was all you couldn't pick the wrong verse. It was always all God gave each man the right verse to work what he was working through on that hike. It was, it was amazing. I put this verse among the verses. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Thinking, of course, that someone would draw this verse who was new to the faith, who was having trouble with doubt, was struggling, didn't quite have the right answer. Well, who do you think drew this verse? I did. The priest. I know the answer to the question. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I thought, oh my gosh, I got the wrong verse. Somebody else got well done, good and faithful servant. I put that in there for me. But um, it was not 50 feet down the trail before the reality of my situation, why God had given me this verse, smacked me in the face. Like Jesus was saying, all of the anxiety, all of the worry, my impatience in all of my problems right then and my inability to solve those problems, my unwillingness to trust God with those problems, in the face of all those things, Joe, who do you say that I am? 
Who does the anxiety and the worry say that I am? Do you believe, Joe, that I'm the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and able to handle all your problems? Or do you think I'm a man of God from a long time ago who probably has something important to say, but we're not really sure what that has to do with us right now? And the priest had to drop to my knees on the trail and answer the question again. You are the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. You died for my sins and you rose to offer me new life. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God who has me in your hands all the time. And you're going to see me through every one of these things that is causing me stress and anxiety right now. There's no question that who do you say that I am is a question for skeptics and new believers. And if that's you right now, then I encourage you to seek out that answer. But it is also a question for committed, long-time believers and disciples of Jesus Christ. Because every day, like Caesarea Philippi, we stand before a host of false gods. Now, one author that I read a lot, Tim Keller, has written this. He said, a false god is anything more important to you than the real god. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. Anything of which you say, if I just have that, then I'll be happy. And he goes on to write that we typically think that idols are, must be really bad things. But that's, not, that's almost never the case. The greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. Modern day idols are usually very good things that we turn into ultimate things. I mean, you think about a relationship with a spouse or, or with your children or, the, or their, your children's uh, accomplishments or something like that. All those, we, we might think of sex or money or power as, as sort of the false gods of our day. We put them on this throne in our heart that they don't deserve. And, and all those things are true, but there are plenty more. I mean, our gods, I mean, our hearts can make gods out of anything. So I want you to imagine that you are standing before this red rock cliff of your very own Caesarea Philippi. And I want to know what statues are in the niches. In other words, in this pandemic, this season of pandemic, this, in this season of just passionate cult, cultural division, what are the statues, what are the false gods that are, that are before you and demanding your allegiance? So I want to, uh, I mean, there's, it could be countless, but I want to offer three that I've noticed in our culture lately or that I've been struggling with. So here's the first one. Normalcy. Normalcy. If things would just go back to being the way that they were, then I'll be okay. I can't be okay until things go back to the way that they were. Now listen, i got to tell you, I like the way things were. I miss hugs and handshakes. I don't like wearing masks. I want to be able to walk wherever I want in public without anybody giving me the stink eye, right? <laughs> More than anything, like I miss feeling safe. And I didn't even know that was a thing until I got taken away. I long 
for things to be the way they were. But they are not. And I think it's okay to be a little sad about that, a little tweaked about that. But if we cannot have a satisfied, content relationship with God until those things are in place, then we've got a false God on our hands. And I think, really, as Christians, we we actually have the resources to see the blessings in the midst of the inconveniences, the sadness, and the hardship. That we can actually ask God... What is he doing? What is he trying to get our attention for? Well, those are important questions, but we're never going to get to the answers as long as normalcy is the God that we're seeking after. So when when things are definitely not normal, Jesus is asking, who do you say that I am? So that's the first false God. Normalcy as a false God has a cousin. And that cousin's name is Control. Control. Now, I, I was, Control's the God I was wrestling with on the, on the backpacking trip. And I've heard so many people lately say they just feel totally out of control. And of course they do. Of course you do. I mean, so many things have been canceled or changed or taken away from us. But I will tell you this, that Control makes a terrible God. Because if you lose control of the situation, I mean, we know that control is just an illusion for the most part. But when we lose control, we feel despair, we feel uh, hopelessness, we feel fear. And so we've got to do everything we can in our power, no matter the cost, to get that control back. But right now we're not going to get control back. And so that causes us to feel hopeless and frustrated and lost, powerless. I think... This is why so many of us resisted changes to our lifestyle around COVID, and some are still resisting, because in some measure, resistance feels like control. Now listen, as Christians, we know that when we feel like we've lost control, that we, no matter what, we are in the hands of the one who's always in control. That we, can't, we may not be able to see what he's doing, but he's still in control. So in the face of uncontrollable times, Jesus is asking, who do you say that I am? Well, there's lots more. I'm just going to name one more and sit down before you start throwing tomatoes. The, uh, the last one is politics. Size of despair. Politics. If my candidate wins, then, then we'll be okay. If that candidate wins, the world's over. Let me tell you, Jesus is the king. He's the only king there is, and he's going to be on the throne no matter who's sitting in the Oval Office, no matter who's controlling Congress. Now, all of us, as responsible citizens, need to say our prayers and read our Bibles and vote our conscience. And we're going to actually come up doing the same things. We'll come up with different answers, and that's okay. But there's only one Savior And his term never expires. The election's drawing nearer, and the media is going to be drawing us into the quagmire of mudslinging. And Jesus is going to be asking us the whole way, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And lots more, but I encourage you to take some time and ask yourself, ask, pray, and ask God. What are the statues in the niches for me? 
What, is, uh, ask, what am I asking to take the place of Jesus Christ in my life? And the only way, the only way to free ourselves from the destruction of the false gods is to turn back to the true one. And friends, that is a daily discipline. Daily discipline. Every day. Every day. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And every day, you and you alone are the Christ the Son of the living God. You alone have me in your hands. Amen.